I want to draw our attention today to First uh, Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel 1 contains the story of a small little family in a no-name village in Israel during a time when everyone was doing right in their own eyes, an era when the word of the Lord was rare in the land, a period of great corruption among the spiritual leadership. And the situation nationally really looked hopeless for any true worshiper of God. And personally, this time looked absolutely helpless for a woman named Hannah. I think the parallels between this time, 1100 years before Jesus was born and now are striking. There's this nation in utter turmoil. Everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. There's little reverence for the word of God and no prophetic voice among God's people. And so into this setting of bleak hopelessness and helplessness, uh, God moves through the fervent, sincere prayer of a godly woman. And through uh, these prayers and this activity, he's going to raise up a prophet of God who will bring the word of God to bring to bear rather upon the people of God. And this prophet will one day anoint the first king of Israel uh, and then David, a man after God's own heart, and uh, David points us to a, his greater son, the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, the story starts with Hannah, the wife of Elkanah, experiencing two heartbreaking situations. First of all, verse two, it says Hannah had no children. And secondly, she experienced the taunting um, and the hostility uh, from Elkanah's second wife, Penina. Uh, notice verse 6 states that Penina would provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on day or year by year. So how did Hannah respond to this barrenness and this hostility? Verse 10 and 11 tells us that Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. In fact, Hannah was so intense in her prayers that her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Eli mistook her for a drunken woman, but verse 16 states that Hannah was praying, notice, out of her great anxiety and vexation. After that day concluded, verse 19, the very next morning, Hannah and Elkanah rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So what are we to make of this story? And why did the author include it here? And how might we apply it to present day prayer meetings like this? Um, Alistair Begg has stirred my thinking in this area a little bit, and uh, our own uh, church is going through the book of 1 Samuel, and I just want to pass a few thoughts on to you. 
first of all, I don't think this story was given to us to teach us that Hannah had a problem and she was very sad. She didn't know how to fix it. So she prayed to God and he fixed her problem. And so we ought to do the same. I don't think that's the the moral lesson that God wants us to learn. Rather, if you look at verse 23, Elkanah says, may the word of the Lord be established. And as we read already, um, Hannah asked God to remember her. And uh, it said the Lord remembered Hannah. So in one sense or application or level, I think Hannah's barrenness is a picture of Israel's fruitlessness at this time. And I just want to draw an analogy to the church at large today, the church's fruitlessness and barrenness. Remember, Hannah had two problems. First of all, she didn't have any children. And second of all, she had a rival who opposed her and mocked her and taunted her. Doesn't that describe in some ways the church of Jesus Christ at large today even? We don't have many children, not physically, but in the spiritual sense of people coming to Christ. And the church has many rivals. And though the church has always had rivals, we are seeing an increase in, I I would say, organized and powerful hostility in places which uh, before we've enjoyed relative peace. So what does this passage call us to do? I think it drives us to prayer and to weep for spiritual children. It urges us, I think, to cry out that the gospel would be proclaimed and received by faith in our godly, our godless cities, rather, and our small towns and villages. And to cry out to God to ask him to give us spiritual children and to pray that the word of the Lord would be established in the land. I have to ask myself this question, do we really believe, do I really believe as we pray that God could open the windows of heaven, even this day or this week or this year, and we would see more souls saved for the kingdom of God than we have ever before in our lifetime? The sobering question that I wrestle with is, and I just put it out to you today, how many people have been converted in your church or in your community or in my church in the last year or in the last two years? I think the answer for many of us would be very few, one, two, a handful. So what can we do about that? Well, we might think of many answers, but here's one that we can absolutely count on today, friends, and that is we can pray. And uh, we have been praying, and I'm so encouraged by so many who share um, opportunities they have to present the gospel. I, I think we ought to also pray that God would lay a greater burden on the hearts of those in our churches and assemblies to gather together to pray for the lost who are dying each and every day. What would it look like, I ask myself, if we prayed out of a, a, a spirit of deep distress and wept bitterly before the Lord, like Hannah did, and that he would grant us many sons and daughters for his glory. I think the story also highlights the sovereignty of God, because it says that the Lord had closed the womb of Hannah. 
and that the hostility of her rival, I think, drove Hannah to prayer. And without God, Hannah obviously would never have had a child. If you read the, the whole chapter, you'll find this phrase, Elkanah knew Hannah. Elkanah had been knowing Hannah for some time with no success and no child. Hannah prayed and poured out her heart to God. Elkanah and Hannah went home, and Elkanah knew Hannah. And then we read, the Lord remembered Hannah, and Samuel was born. I think we ought to be praying that our own spiritual barrenness and the increasing hostility that we face uh, would compel us to seek God fervently and sincerely, as Hannah did. And I also think we need to recognize humbly that all of our preaching and personal witnessing will produce nothing unless God acts and blesses his word. Just one final thought. We may never live to see what we pray for in these prayer meetings. For as we pray for hundreds and thousands of spiritual children to rise up and declare the glory of the Lord, that may not happen in our lifetime. But as men and women of vision we have to be prepared to dream dreams that are bigger than maybe can be achieved even in our own lifetime. Uh, but we can do what we ought to do now. And we need to seek the Lord and pray, and we need to continue to intercede for revival and not give up. And our prayers ought to be, may the Lord establish his word and may the glory of the Lord fill the earth. So brothers and sisters, let us remain united in prayer for a spiritual awakening and the revival of true religion in our world. Amen.